You are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode number 35. Rush on an uptown train, doors open, and she walks in, she's soaking, caught in the rain, her skin shines crystalline. This is the Give Me Five podcast, where each week we discuss all things entertainment, specifically the things that entertained us. It could be TV shows, movies, music, streaming, books, or whatever. I'm Jimmy, and together with my co-host, Greg. Howdy. Howdy. And Rob. Hey, guys. How you doing? I guess we're going with this now. We're the Give Me Five guys. Give or me maybe, five guys. <laughs> maybe, like Greg and Rob earlier, we are just lifelike androids who have murdered and replaced your regular hosts due to their insolence. Seems about right. Maybe I am. No. This yes. week, we will be discussing Westworld, poignant, the Netflix original Titan, and that will be a short review, the new album from A Perfect Circle, Eat the Elephant, and the movie Super Troopers 2. All right, so guys, this is a review show. There will probably be spoilers. We'll try to avoid any major twists. For example, if you didn't know that we're not going to ep- edit this episode as much as usual episodes, or that I'm going to have to be on my best behavior and not talk about my penchant for... Wow. Oh, man. No, we I'm not going to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're not going to talk about your penchant for naughty nun porn? All right. No, no, I, I'm not. I'm not. Then you might okay. want to pause and come back later. Or you're not going to talk about the fact that I write the scripts and sometimes you don't check them beforehand. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, well, you should probably start doing that. Uh, if you, too, have a penchant for naughty nun porn, then you can contact us. Good Lord. By searching on Facebook for the Give Me Five podcast. Say it. I do. You can also look for us on Twitter and Instagram at Give Me Five Pod, or you can email us to complain about me saying naughty nun porn four times now. Possibly three at give me for at the give me five podcast at gmail.com. And uh, the best way you can help us is by leaving a review on iTunes or whatever your podcast provider. And remember, as of you know, a couple weeks ago, we are on Spotify. And that is actually kind of a cool thing. And I'm excited about that. So am I. It looks very cool. And last but not least, you can always, uh, you know, at, like wear us on your chest. By getting shirts. <laughs> yeah. Makes him laugh every time. Uh, by purchasing t-shirts. Or stand uh, on us after you get out of the shower. Yeah, you can stand on us when you get out of the shower because they're bath mats. Totally getting one from a new place. And you could uh, press us against your face with a cell phone case. You can even carry all of your uh, goodies in us by with a tote bag. Do we, all of that stuff do we is have, available. Do we have toilet seat warmers? Mm, we do not, not yet. Okay. Not yet. That's probably Get on it, Greg. On it. Uh, you can check that out at giveme5podcast.threadless.com. So that's where we're at. And now I want to know if there's anything new out there with you guys. Yeah. A um, couple of big things. Um, I, I did want to start with kind of a, um, I guess, apology. Um, 
on last, last week's episode, I mentioned that the art style changes in the book Severed that you let me borrow and uh, said Attila Funaki was the artist on chapters four through seven. That was actually Greg Gilhammond. So my retraction. For yeah, he wrote week. us a really angry email. <laughs> no. <laughs> All sorts of terrible things about Jimmy. And <laughs> no. And in that same vein, I owe an apology from last week as well. Do you? I do, because I corrected Greg when he said that in the cartoon version of uh, the the wrestling show that Andre the Giant was a good guy. And I corrected him and told him, in fact, that no, Andre the Giant was on the bad guy's side. And that is not true. Andre the Giant was a good guy in the cartoon. <laughs> oh, so, wow. So I apologize, Greg. Thank you. And I take away the angry sound that I gave you last week. Here we go. There you go. He just did it. To, he did. He did it to you twice already in this episode. Yeah. Um, a couple of quick things I wanted to. We talked about this. At, well, I talked about this at length last time. Uh, Neil Blomkamp was crowdfunding his new film Firebase, and he pulled that last week, just a couple of days after we talked about it. So no Firebase did not get the funding it needed. So it's going to have to go in a new direction, I guess. Which is unfortunate. It had a really cool plot, but. That's some sad news. Um, now, was that some, the one that was the the like the aliens, or was that something different? Kind of. It was set in Vietnam. Um, okay. Followed a group of soldiers, and there was all kinds of just. It was a short, and they actually chose to crowdfund that short to make a feature length, and said that uh, we're not going to produce a subpar movie. We didn't get the uh, the funding we wanted, so we're not going to make the best movie that we can. So that's unfortunate. We'll see what Neil Blomkamp does, and hopefully Oat Studios continues on. A Quiet Place stays king of the box office with a uh, – <clears throat> this was actually as of a couple of days ago – a $275 million um, box office on a $17 million budget. That's, That's pretty insane. damn good for a cast of, what, five people. Um, I've talked about it with so many other people, so many students, and it's just a great film. Please see it. So – um, one more you might thing be hearing about that again in a second. All right. Uh, the Undertaker. Another thing we talked about last week is getting a badass graphic novel that's coming out in October 2018. I've seen some of the concept art. It looks phenomenal. It's not a uh, you know, the Undertaker you know revives the dead. It's a true account of his career, and so we'll see the dead man in comic format in October. So looking forward to, forward to that. Very nice. I've got. Uh, uh, let, me do, let me do the sad news before we we talk about uh, what I believe. So last week, actually, when we recorded, I forgot to mention this, but uh, Harry Anderson had passed away. Yes. Yeah. Just the week before, we were talking about Night Court, and Harry Anderson was. I I personally feel he was at the heart of that show. Yeah, definitely. He, in, for someone who was a you know ridiculous judge that did in that show specifically, who did magic and played practical jokes and pranks. He was still the most grounded in the show, and he let all of the other crazy characters work around him. And you kind of, I, I kind of forgot it. And just after I heard that he had passed away, you know, I, it's sort of hard to find full episodes of of Night Court. Like they don't, I don't think they sell the DVD box sets beyond season one, which I have. So I looked on YouTube and I was watching stuff, and I was like, man, I really miss that type of show, and I miss him. And also some other, um, you know, famous people passed away, and just people that I I liked or thought were pretty cool. Uh, Vern Troyer, of course, who everyone's going to say mini me, 
Uh, he was also in one of the Harry Potter movies. He was in the first Harry Potter movie, I think, yeah. right? Right, Rob? Yeah, he played uh, Grip Hook. The, yeah. He played the version of Grip Hook that took Harry to the to his vault for the first time. But later on, that character was played by uh, Warwick Davis, and he says that he took Harry Potter to the vault for the first time because he's actually playing this character that Vern Troyer played the first time. Yeah. So I really – I mean, I loved him in – in Austin Powers, I have some great memories. That was kind of my blockbuster days, and we would always just sit around quoting that movie and stuff, and the, the whole mini-me stuff. But also, like even beyond that point, he had a really cool relationship with his fans. He, he was always on Reddit talking to people and stuff like that as himself. He would just get into regular conversations, and it was just – it was really sad to hear. Um, and, of course, Avicii, he's a, a EDM musician who actually combined electric music or electric dance music with country and folk and bluegrass. And um, you probably know some of his stuff, Rob, but I was really sad to hear that he passed away. He was young. He was like 28, I believe. And he had just, he drank so much when he first got started because he was, you know, was at all these clubs and doing all these major shows and just drinking, drinking, drinking. And I think he, they don't know exactly what killed him, but he did end up with chronic uh, pancreatitis. Mm. So he quit about three years ago of everything. But I think that his health just, I think he burnt himself out at a very young age. So I was really sad to hear that he went and I, his album from 2005, I believe, or 2015, rather, like that was on heavy rotation for me. It just, it was so good. The, and it was his breakthrough album. And it was just, it was really sad to hear that he went. So, yeah, that's my sad news. Now, Rob, are you going to talk to us about why you're a little late? Oh, well, yeah, I, <laughs> I can, I can do that. But there was also something else that I wanted to uh, mention here. In yeah, this go section. for it. Um, well, we can mention why I'm late, and that's because I do believe that there is a special place in hell for the people who get into line at the supermarket in the 20 items or less line and then basically decide that it's okay to just split their cart up into, like, three different things because they've got, like, 60 items in their cart. Mm. I'm like, now, yeah, usually I cut, get out of here. <laughs> was that, usually I cut this kind of conversation out when it's when it happens just because it – it slows down the show in you know, whenever whenever we do this. But I feel that in this case, it's a public service announcement. I feel like this is us giving back to people to tell you guys not to do it out there. Yeah. You know, last week we said – I said, don't go see A Quiet Place if you're the type of person that has to ask a lot of questions during a movie. Now, Greg, go ahead with your disclaimer. This so, might yeah, be a redneck segment going forward. Yeah, yeah. Disclaimer. No, so I'm I'm gonna have to go with what Rob just said. He, you know, don't do that splitting up your items thing. I the last time I ever went to a Super Walmart in in at least in this area was I had to run there to get formula for my newborn, and there was a family of like six people that went that decided to buy T-shirts that were like five for a dollar or whatever that is, and rather and they went into the express lane and they just handed each of their kids. 10 shirts and made them buy them rather than just so it was 10 people each caught taking way more time. So I went on a five minute run to Walmart and it took me over an hour <laughs> because the rest, it was sounds about right. Yeah. Old guy complaining, but still. do you ever go in there and people have like 15 items and they start putting their stuff up or 20 items or whatever. And they, they go, Oh, I, uh, I, I didn't realize. It's like, yeah, shut the hell up. You knew exactly what you were doing. And or the and people who get a, go ahead. I'll be honest. It, if they've got like two or three items over, I don't give a crap. But when they're like splitting their card up into like three or four separate purchases, I'm like, yo, bro, come on now. 
you're now angering all of the listeners. Like, you know, so mad. So that that has been old guys complaining about stuff. Thanks for listening. There you go. All um, right, what else you got, Rob? Uh, one other thing I found out today is that um, it uh, another one of our um, of our favorite slow ass authors has has announced that there will not be another there will not be the next release in the Game of Thrones series this year. Initially the plan was to release book 6 this year and he has come out and said, yeah, no, that's that's not going to happen. And but mm. he has decided to release another book in November that basically talks about the history of Westeros. And it's like, dude, just just finish one because because this is the first book in another series. And it's like, dude, just, just I mean, you're still writing about Westeros anyway. Just finish the series that you're writing. And again, we really feel like this guy is really pushing the clock because he doesn't look like the healthiest human being. Mm-mm. Well, and I think you were I think you were right initially when you were talking about how the showrunners took over and basically wrote the story of Westeros. I think you were right because you were saying that you don't think that he's actually going to finish the series. You think he's just going to let it go and let these let the end of the TV show be the end of the series. And I think that's entirely possible. I mean, I hope not because at this point they do kind of live on their own, especially with certain characters that have disappeared. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's a lot of reading that people are going to be really upset about. You know, they probably enjoyed the reading, but you got to have some finality there. Yeah. Well, and his, the last book, book five, was released, for those of you counting, was released in 2011. It's not as bad as some authors. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm just going to stick with, you know, some friends of the show, uh, Richard Knack, uh, C.S. Humble, S.K. Nichols. Through that catalog, I'm just, I'm just going to stick with them. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Joe Ballerini. Mr. Joe Ballerini, of course. Looking there for when? Do you know when um, Mon, uh, Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunter Part Two comes out? Um, I will look that up. All right. Uh, it looks like a Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting Number Two, called Beasts and Geeks: Babysitter's Guide to Monsters, is coming out. It looks like uh, June nineteenth. Awesome. If you pre-order it on Amazon, it looks like it will be delivered automatically to your Kindle June nineteenth. So I don't know if that's the digital version or the hard copy version, but I will be pre-ordering the book and we'll see what uh happens yeah let's we'll reach out to joe ballerini and see if he can join us again yeah that'd be fun so i think from there we'll move on to snap decisions what do you think sounds good all right so in this section we can bring up bits of news and ask the other's opinion we're going to keep them secret so that we can get a genuine reaction also, no reaction or opinion is valid as well, just to keep just to keep these questions worthwhile. So what do, you, what do y'all have? Well, I actually only have one thing. Um, right. I think Greg might actually be talking with the, the mute button still on, so I'll go ahead and go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, we have got Halloween returning to theaters this October with – Jamie Lee Curtis reprising her role, which is super exciting and even, I guess, more exciting, equally exciting news. It's been revealed that John Carpenter will be scoring the film. We've I was really excited about that, and I wasn't talking with the, the mute button on. I was, <laughs> I was finding my list of questions that I had closed when we restarted earlier, but go on. No worries. Um, so with that, knowing that Halloween – 
uh, is returning just before Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis, scored by John Carpenter with Blumhouse backing. And Blumhouse has had, you know, houses at Halloween Horror Nights. They're, they're just really killing it. Um, also, the director's name is not Rob Zombie, who I'm going to be a little controversial this episode and go as far as to say as Rob Zombie is a hack of a director who steals all of his ideas and repackages them and casts the same characters in every movie. Um, so my little tangent aside, are you guys excited for a new Halloween movie or is it time to just stop? Granted, it's been a while since the last one came out. I'm going to go first on this one. I am. I am very much a Halloween fan and it's one of my favorite all time horror movies. The first one, the second one grew on me. There was a lot of garbage in there. The Rob Zombie ones had some interesting ideas, but turned out to me not so good. But I am actually excited about this because of the names you mentioned. Yep. The Blumhouse name. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is my style of horror. Um, Just everything I've liked, almost everything they've done. Uh, The John Carpenter being associated with it. The, um, you know, uh, what's her face? Jamie Lee Curtis being associated with it. Yeah, of course. And... So, yes, I am now excited about it. When I first heard about it, I was like, uh, again? I didn't care. Yeah, but as soon as I saw those names, I was like, okay, their heart's in the right place, and I'm all in. Play yourself off. There you go. What do you think, Rob? Uh, well, I, I have a question first. Is it a continuation or is it a reboot? Um, it is a continuation. So okay. Jamie Lee Curtis has, I, I believe she has a, a daughter or or daughter's and she is the same character from the previous movies. Okay. Does it does it continue from two though? I, I thought it continued from two. I think so. Let me uh, go ahead and uh, with with your decision, Rob, and, and I'll take a little look. And does Mike Myers use a cane? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> because yeah, he's got to get in this one. Him. Well, in, in it, he sits on a porch and he just kills kids if they go in his yard. <laughs> well. I I do like Greg. I do like the the Halloween movies. There there have been a couple of suspect ones, um, but I do love Jamie Lee Curtis. And the the Blumhouse name is uh, is fairly respectable as far as horror is concerned. Um, I didn't know that John Carpenter was a composer. I thought he was a director, but it, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But he's done both. He's done both. Okay. Um, I I will. He wrote the original Halloween theme. Okay, all right. I will. I will very likely go see it. Um, and no, I don't think that this is something that needs to because I think this is something that could go on for a long time. Um, you know, a la Nightmare on Elm Street or whatever. I mean, it's the 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 great thing about the horror franchises is these are things that, that they can just continue to do movies for. Um, and. Will it get old and tired? Maybe, but I mean, that's just the the genre of flick that this is that this is part of. I mean, the the slasher flicks are all kind of the same. I mean, whether it's whether it's you know Nightmare on Elm Street, exactly. Uh, it does take place forty years later and oh, features um, actually features uh, Laurie Strode or Jamie Lee characters. Jamie Lee Curtis's character's granddaughter. Um, and by all accounts, the trailer that we have not seen yet is quote legitimately terrifying, and that's from IO9. 
Well, the problem that they'll have to get around in that case is with because Mike Myers is not a supernatural being, if I'm not mistaken. He's probably, if we're talking 40 years later, um, he's probably in his 60s. <laughs> or or more. Or more. Yeah. So. Uh, they, they may be turning him into a supernatural character. We'll see. He wasn't originally conceived as a supernatural character, but he became eventually, obviously because of sequels and stuff, by necessity, he became this force of just hatred and murder that can't be stopped as a result of that. But, yeah, again, they've, you know, had him shot up. They've had him thrown out of windows. They have him do all sorts of stuff, and he's still alive. But they never actually explained it, and I really hope they don't. Mm-hmm. So um, I can I, I guess I can go with one. Go for it. And I'll stick with horror. Awesome. Uh, Quiet Place, of course, ha- we just talked about, had one of the largest openings ever for a horror film, which was $50 million. And as you said, it, I believe it's up to $206 million at this point. Uh, more than that now, but yeah, that was oh, okay. a few days ago. Gotcha. The number you'd written down, but I guess it had changed. Oh, it's, um, I mean, that was a few days ago, so I imagine yeah. it's yeah. grown since then. Go ahead. So uh, between this movie and then, of course, Get Out, uh, It, uh, to a lesser extent, movies like Don't Breathe and other movies along, along those lines, uh, the birthday movie. Uh, horror movies had a, had a really strong showing in theaters over the past two years. Uh, do you have any idea why you think that is? Um, because good horror movies are coming out in my opinion. And I think, um, I think people are really kind of spreading the word. I think these are are really getting out there because of word of mouth, uh, films like get out, uh, kind of came out and was like, okay, this horror movies come out, but Hey, this is really good. Uh, people are going out there. They're talking about it. Horror movies are winning awards. Um, they're getting bigger budgets, there are more original horror movies coming out. There are continuations of stories that people actually care about. And um, I think, you know, with with producers like Blumhouse and um, directors, you know, like Jordan Peele, I, I think it's just a lot of credibility come back to horror movies. You can play me off. Cool. Uh, Rob, do you got anything? Um, I, I feel like you're trying to direct us to a certain answer that you've already got, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you what I think. Um, I, I think, I think Jimmy's onto something. I think they're coming out with better storylines. They're getting away from the slasher flicks of like the late eighties, early nineties that were largely popular. Um, and I think they're coming up with better stories, better premises, and, you know, just overall a more engaging movie. Um, that legitimately at certain parts will creep people out. So I, I think they're getting better at making them, basically, is I guess where I'm going with that. Agreed. That's just my thought. I think you yeah, took I, everything I said and boiled down in one word or a couple of no, words. I'm, I'm torn on that because I've, I've heard different things because I've looked – I was looking at a bunch of stuff. And I remember that like during – Lord of the Rings came out right after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And – there were think piece after think piece after think piece saying people wanted fantasy movies right then because the real world was kind of terrifying. And it was back then. If you, I mean, you think back to that day, you're like, well, how do you ever smile again after that kind of stuff? How do you laugh again? And so there was that. And then there's a, you know, every piece about that I saw about movies like get out and specifically quiet place. Cause that one did take the world by storm and it didn't have any sort of political undertakings or undertones. We're saying, well, we're kind of living in an uncertain world right now. And whenever that happens, historically, horror movies seem to raise up in 
like where they're making money because we were in a very uncertain world back when Halloween came out and Friday the 13th because there was the oil embargo and things like that. And people, they said that, you know, psychologically people can be scared, but also have some control over it because when the movie's over, it's over. So I was wondering if there's any credence to it. And obviously I have someone I can definitely talk to about that living in my house with me, but it was just some kind of an interesting take. And I was like, hmm. You're five years old? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My five-year-old, who apparently knows more about music history than I do, because he was in the kitchen tonight, and he said uh, he was talking to Alexa, and he goes, "Alexa, play the play the song I want to hug you." And we're like, "That's not a song." And Alexa's like, "Playing the song I want to hug you by John Lee Hooker." <laughs> we're like, and then he started like, and it was kind of up tempo, so he started like dancing in the kitchen. And we're like, "Was that what you were expecting?" He's like, "Yeah, that's a song." Mm, no, it wasn't. <laughs> wow. Well, I I have one um, that 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 I also heard about today, and it involves it involves two of your teams, Greg. Um, oh, oh dear. Well, as as you all know, the the NFL draft is coming up tomorrow, and it seems like every year you read you read or hear about these boneheads that are that just do the dumbest stuff, and and so the most recent one is wide receiver from Florida, Mark Calloway, turned in a sample that was positive. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, Mark Calloway is the Undertaker. His uh, his real name is uh, not Mark Calloway. I'm going to look it up. Antonio uh, Calloway. I'm sorry, Antonio, Antonio Calloway. Calloway. <laughs> yeah. Mark Calloway is the Undertaker. You are correct. Antonio yeah. Calloway, wide wide receiver from Florida, former wide receiver of Florida. I could not wait to get rid of that guy, but go on. <laughs> well, former wide receiver of Florida had a drug test today. A drug test that he knew was coming, and still tested positive for marijuana. Now, it seems like we hear about this every year, but do you think it's gotten to the point where players don't care because they know people will overlook it? Do you think they're just irresponsible or, you know, I mean, and and where do you stand as far as if you're an owner looking to draft somebody like that? I'm going to go because if not, I'm going to explode. Go for it. Okay. So first of all, Callaway, he was on the Gators. Not only did he, that was his second marijuana test. He also led the band of multiple players that stole credit card numbers mm-hmm. and basically cost the Gators a ton of games. And he had – it was wiped from the books, but it's worth mentioning he also had a sexual assault thing that there was – that the charges were dropped. So beyond that, I think if I was an owner, first of all, hell no. Mm-hmm. Because if you if you know something and you can't restrain yourself for that for one month, two months, three months, whatever it is, Mm-hmm. then you shouldn't get a million-dollar contract because these owners have to run businesses, regardless of your talent level. I also think that for a lot of these guys' lives, they've been so good at stuff that they've been allowed passes. I mean, we had kids at our high school that played football and stuff that were terrible, but they still – you could see they were screwing off and skipping tests and stuff like that because they were football players and they could get, go with whatever. So I think that they've been allowed leniency and – they feel like, well, you know, I'll still make my millions, so that's it. Hmm. I I agree. Um, I mean, you hear about these things, and yeah, you know, it looks like Antonio Callaway has had a a, a lengthy rap sheet of um, that might not be fair to say, but uh, you know, a lengthy list of issues with these types of things, and. You know, can't you just stop for a week? Can't you stop for two weeks? Um, I think this will 
definitely compound with the other things and affect his draft stock as an owner. You know, there's talent and there's on and off field issues. And I think at some point you just got to move on to the next best uh, person on the board. So, yeah, I mean, the the Bengals can only draft so many people. Hey, (laughs) the Bengals are the new Cowboys, right? Exactly. Now, one of the other things that was mentioned during that story was that Antonio Callaway is receiving mentorship from a current NFL player. And that current NFL player is Antonio Brown. And that's why I said it involved both of your teams, Greg. Um, Now, when I heard the story, they were laughing and saying getting mentorship from Antonio Brown about stuff like that is like getting mentorship from Cheech and Chong. Um, as far as the marijuana is concerned, I did Antonio Brown ever have any issues with marijuana? No, not at all. Okay, they're from the same. They're both from Liberty City, mm-hmm. but I don't know. If, I mean, Antonio Brown. I don't think he's ever had any issues. Um, the running back has Le'Veon Bell. I, yeah, Le'Veon Bell did, and with uh, him and the guy that he's another running back, but he's not on the Steelers anymore. He, uh, I think he might have been on the 49ers, too, and he, then he was on the Patriots. You just you hear about these things right before the draft, and, it always, and it's like, dude, you could not, you couldn't wait two weeks. Yeah, like, all right. I mean, I I don't think, uh, I I I think there are red flags, and uh, I'd pass if I was an owner. You got to look out for your business, and yeah. you know, guys are going to come with issues like that. But somebody's going to take a, a shot on him somewhere, and it just it somebody it just disturbs me that they're going to get rewarded like that for being a complete asshat. Yeah, well, it's not even a, a case of should it be legal or not, because it's whatever mm-hmm. they say not to do. Like, if I was right. going in for a job at a movie studio, and they were like, "Great, but you you can't talk about this job because you're working on some movie that's not out yet, mm-hmm. and we don't want it on your social media," then you stop doing social media. It's not it's not a even a legality thing. It's like if you know that they test for a certain thing, legal or not, don't do it. It just compounds the fact that it's illegal where he was doing it. It. It right. could be something for me, you know, if I were an owner, which I'm not. You hear stories about this all the time where guys break curfew or they, you know, you're at a training camp or you're in college and coach says to be in at 10 o'clock because, you know, you got a lot of work to do the next morning. And if a guy can't get home at 10 o'clock and is out partying all night and is going to show up and be a lazy ass the next day, then, hey, that's a red flag. And, th- and that's where I would be a terrible NFL owner because I would have people, and if they broke rules, I would I would bench them. I don't care. I don't care who they were. I would I'd be like, oh, look, nobody's nobody's going to do this. Nobody's going to get away with it. If you can't do it, you're going to sit on the bench. I mean, I probably wouldn't win a ton of games, but be like, good good luck trying to get a good contract when you can't even get on the field for us. <laughs> cool. I think that uh, does that square us away. I think. So. I think so. All right, so our first topic of the night is the Netflix original movie, The Titan, starring Sam Worthington. Uh, you would know him as Jake Sully from Avatar, Natalie Emmanuel Missandei from Game of Thrones, who, you know, we did a whole offshoot about Game of Thrones, and Tom Wilkinson, who I put in parentheses, from lots of things. And um, I don't know if it's because of its British accent, can't say methane correctly. And that was <laughs> one of the biggest things. Methane? Methane. Uh, I I went as far as to go and check pronunciation. Um, if anybody out there wants to correct me, that's fine. I'll argue all day about it. 
but they said methane about as many times as they said uh, Geostorm in the movie Geostorm. And every time it just drove me insane. Um, it's, it's a movie. It's a, a repeated theme. You know, the earth is running out of resources. So what is humanity going to do? And in this case, spoiler warning, it's to turn everyone into Martians and send them to Titan, which is the largest moon, um, that actually has an environment that could support, um, liquid. Uh, that is, you know, a sustainable environment, but it just has a, a, a goofy plot. You know, it's, it's not bad acting. Um, I, I, I like Sam Worthington. I like Natalie Emanuel and, uh, you know, Tom Wilkinson. He's, he's great and stuff. He just can't pronounce me. I almost said methane. He can't pronounce methane. <laughs> um, so I, I read a lot of things before this came out. I was intrigued because I, I like, like I said, I'll say it again. I like Sam Worthington. Um, read some some reviews that said, "Man, it's just comically bad in in the sense of the story." And yeah, it, it it's that bad. Uh, there's so many why moments. Like, wait, why are we creating? You know, why are we pushing evolution? How much can this cost? You know, to to turn these people into these weird Martians who suddenly lose the ability to speak and only communicate in deep hums and get super violent. But somehow the night before their mission on Mars, after being turned into these super violent creatures who can't speak, get to have one more night at home with their families. It really feels like this movie was made by committee. We're like everyone like, okay, guys, go home. We're going to do a sci-fi movie. I want you to come with your original ideas. And then they couldn't decide which ideas to take. So they just kind of stuck them together. Well, they just, they may, you know, it's a, it's a group of soldiers that volunteer for this mission, this, this kind of one way ticket. And they all have families and they're put on this, um, you know, they're put in these, this facility with these, this neighborhood basically. That's this perfect neighborhood, um, to kind of give them the comfort before they transition into these, these monsters. Um, and then they're just, they're turned into these monsters and, you know, it's like, okay, go home for one more night. So does it turn Seriously? into like a horror movie at that point? Ah. Or like an Attack on Titan kind of thing? I haven't, well, <laughs> um, I haven't seen Attack on Titan, but I see what you did there. Um, I know so, there are giant, there are giant monsters involved in that. Um, there's, there's nothing giant about it, but when these super violent, unstable creatures are sent home to stay with their, can, can I say that again? They're sent home for one night before they're sent off to Mars to, you know, or I'm sorry, uh, Saturn's moon. Um, I, I probably said Mars earlier, but does, is that sound super ridiculous to you guys? Oh, that sounds or, like yeah. it's a great idea. Yeah. And, uh, all hell breaks loose. Um, and somehow, the mission continues somehow. Uh, it, it still goes through. Now you can check it out. Uh, hopefully I didn't spoil it too much, but it's a bad movie. Um, with a bad story. There are some very cool creature effects. Uh, a lot of the movie is just transformation scenes and Sam Worthington swimming in a pool and holding his breath for a super long time. It's really Kinda funny like to say that because I just tried to look up what the motion <laughs> looks like. And when I typed in the Titan Netflix, the first picture is Sam Worthington. The second one is the Beast, and the third and the rest of the pictures are all Sam Worthington sitting in a pool. 
Yeah. He's yeah. in a pool a lot. He and it's like, okay, we've given them him the ability to swim really fast. And then they send him all right, spoiler warning. Um, they send him to Saturn's moon Titan and he's flying because the atmosphere is, is so, um, thick with methane. Uh, check it out. It's not exactly party movie funny. It's not your funny, but it's goofy and dumb. If you don't have anything else to do for an hour and a half, then, then check it out. Let us know what you think. Nice. Or not nice. I don't know. Yeah. I think I'm going to pass on that one and do, and I think I'm going to finish up, uh, Lost in Space. Yeah. Oh, I did order my own copy of your today, by the way. Nice. On our Amazon link that we now have, which we'll talk hey. about at some point. Um, side note, I took your copy of your because I knew nothing bad would happen to it. I let my girlfriend borrow it and she thought it was hilarious. Uh, thought it was absolutely worth a watch. So you guys out there listening, you have got to watch your. And I'll buy a copy through our Amazon link, and I'll rent it out to you. <laughs> because you've got to see it. We'll, t- we'll talk about that later. We aren't going to, but we'll talk about the Amazon thing later. Go on. Okay. Thank you. Well, after about, I think it was 18 months or so, Westworld has returned to HBO. Wow, it doesn't feel like that long. It does not. I'm... I know it did not play at all in 2017, so I just I'm guessing the 18 months, but either way, that's besides the point. Uh, came back this past Sunday, and just kind of refresh you guys on where it was. And for Rob, you've never seen it, Jim. You saw last season, so oh, I saw last season. Oh, you did see last season? Oh, yeah. okay. So basically, at the end of, of last season, the the robot uprising began. Last season was called the Maze. And we're not going to do a straight review here. There's uh, at least 15 different podcasts that you can find that review Westworld in full. And you can search them and, you know, if you want to listen to a straight review of it, because I know that there's not a lot of people that watch it when it's first on because they don't have HBO. So just kind of get you guys caught up where it was. It started off or it ended with basically an uprising. And throughout the show, there was a little bit of time jumping within episodes and you could kind of see people young. You could see, you didn't really know when things were taking place, all that stuff. Uh, that is continuing in this season. Uh, the, the first season does a lot of what they do with HBO shows where it kind of just introduces the world as where it is. And which I, they do that a lot on game of Thrones. I'm sure you guys noticed that like the first episode of each season of game of Thrones is kind of like an overlay of the land. Right. And then they usually end that episode with some big shocking reveal. So basically the, this episode, really the one thing that stood out to me, was there are a lot of bodies laying around. I would be hard-pressed to find a scene, an overhead shot scene, where there isn't hundreds of bodies laying on the ground, <laughs> whether they be real people or the uh, hosts or the mm-hmm. androids or whatever you want to call them. Whether they're in the, the courtyard where that uh, dinner party was at the end of last season or in, you know, the that uh, the laboratory room, the one that looks like kind of an Apple store. Mm-hmm. Just bodies everywhere. So many bodies that... If the, if you told me that there was only three people left in the entire show and you're never going to see anyone else, I wouldn't be surprised. It's that many bodies. Wow. Yeah. Does anybody come out and clean it up or you're just like, that's fine. Well, just in general, the, what's going on right now is the, I, the show, there's multiple different uh, time jumps. Like I said, there's one of them is about 11 days after the uprising and they do some shots where you can kind of see that the bodies have are about 11 days old, like the human ones laying around. They're starting to 
gray and flies are starting to find him, that kind of stuff. There's also some clips from like 30 years before what we saw in the first season. There's also possibly some clips from the present time, which may or may not be that 11 days thing. I'm guessing it's, I'm guessing the present time would be not present time for us, but present time in the show. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a really interesting opening. There was a, a couple questions they just haphazardly just answered, such as where is Westworld? Like they just like, how does this place exist? And they kind of just throw it out there, which I thought was kind of interesting. They, you know, the char- the main characters are largely unchanged. Uh, Dolores is still kind of batshit crazy. Um, she is now basically hunting everyone. You know, she's killing basically indiscriminately. Uh, are there? Do people not know? Are they still vacationing to Westworld and just getting off? So that's so that's one of the interesting things. Which I one of the things is not necessarily spoilerific, but mm-hmm. so I'm trying I'm trying to avoid that because you guys haven't seen it yet. But what happens the eleven days thing? Uh, one of the oh shoot the guy from uh, Eric from uh, True Blood's brother in real life is the one of the gazillion Scars uh, brothers. He's basically like a security like leader of a security force and he shows up and he's basically like, we haven't heard anything from this place for 11 days. That's how you know about the 11 days. And we still have tourists here. We got to get them out. So there's still theoretically hundreds of people there somewhere, but the hosts that did change are, are hunting people. And there's other ones that are still going about their programming. So like there'll be uh Dolores sitting on a horse, just shooting people from a distance. And there's somebody and the, like playing there's track like, music on a piano. Yeah, or there's it's a uh, stable boy is just kind of doing his thing, just you know, shooing horses or you know pouring water, doing whatever. So it's kind of interesting. They they definitely did play a little bit with that, with you know letting people, letting you know that there's still people out there. Uh, there's also some very big reveals at the end, and I will let you guys step away if you'd like. Uh, the two big reveals at the end Fine. are a major flood has occurred somewhere in this eleven days in one section of the area. And they're, ba- they basically are looking at a thing that looks like the aliens to sensor. We see the little dots and they're like, why are all the hosts like lining up here? And they're kind of like coagulating in one spot. And it turns out they're all, they've all been drowned. And that's one of the big mm-hmm. reveals. The other, and they go to this area where there's water and there's not supposed to be. And there's also a tiger that's laying there like dead. It's a fake tiger, but it's, you know, it's a robot tiger and it's dead. Hmm. And was it like, bitten by zombies? Yes. Bitten by zombies. And they're like, well, how did this get here? He's supposed to be in Park 6. So we know there's at least six other parks that all right. are also experiencing the same problems. That was from Tiger World. Tiger World, yeah. <laughs> Furry land. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it. Go on. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming it's going to be the samurai land that was the in the original movies. And that's but, also in the trailer for season two. So no yeah. huge spoiler. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. There's um, uh, Maev, my Maeve. I can't pronounce that, but Maeve. She's like, she. If yeah, you remember Maeve. last season, she um, she really punched up her knowledge and her fighting ability and stuff like that last season. So one of the things I heard was like she's got the cheat code, so she can pretty much do anything. Mm-hmm. And she is frantically trying. Well, not frantically, but she's trying to find her daughter that was programmed into her. And the guy that wrote all the stories is kind of with her, not by choice, but he is with her. And she's like telling him like, let's go find, we got to find my daughter. And he's like, well, why do you want to do that? You know, she's just a story, which if I have an angry Android that just realized that 
it's an, that she's an angry android. <laughs> I'm not going to tell her that. It's like, wow, you just pretty much sealed your fate, dude. But somehow she didn't kill him for that. And you remember him, the guy that they were people that was like the head writer, uh, yeah. Anthony uh, Hopkins. No, no, no. Like the guy, that, the younger guy that was with that was like writing the narratives. He was like in that one room where you could see like the map of um, the ma- his uh, his name was uh, uh, Sizemore. He was he was in that one room a lot with the where you could see the overhead like map of the world. But gotcha, gotcha. Either way, he uh, so he he's there. We got uh, Anthony Hopkins is not in the show at the moment, but his voice is. So you hear him a little bit. Uh, Bernard, played by Jeffrey Wright, he's he's starting to flake out. He start and this is the other big reveal, which I'm assuming is going to be a much bigger reveal as the season Go goes ahead. on. But for now, it's just interesting. It's just mm-hmm. interesting. He starts flaking out and he does like he plugs an iPad into himself and it basically says like he's going through death, his death sequence. And it turns out that something happened to him where he got damaged and this fluid is like leaking out from his behind his ears. And it's a clear, like a clear fluid. And I guess it's better than other places. Yeah. Very true. Hey, <laughs> so he, uh, they earlier in the show, they had showed, they showed the brains of the androids for the first time. And as people, everyone said, it looks like a Brita filter. It kind of does. It looks like a Brita filter sort of thing. And it's in a little core that's inside of their heads, of course, in this liquid, this clear liquid. So he basically what he does is he, he has to find more of the liquid. So while, while he's helping somebody, she steps away for a second. He steals some of the liquid from another one of the androids or one of the hosts. So the fluid is going to have something to do with it. And also they start searching for people using a neural net. So basically they're saying that all the androids are tied into each other via like a kind of a proprietary internet. So I'm sure that's going to have something to do with it later on with maybe them shutting it down or possibly them taking over. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, like really the last thing I want to say about it, I thought it was really good. Um, still the acting was good. Still, you know, that you could tell they have a story, which you're always a little worried with JJ Abrams after some of the lost stuff and other things like that. But the first series apparently was was called The Maze, and then this series is called The Door. So we're assuming that the that the hosts are trying to get out into the real world. And there's a little hint as to what the endgame really was in the fact that they found this hidden lab. And in the hidden lab, someone is swabbing. There's a, a drone, which are they're creepy looking. They look like something from a tool video. They're swabbing the, the um, other hosts, like genital areas, basically stealing DNA. Hmm. Okay. So not only were they recording so, people, but they were stealing DNA and to possibly either re- possibly replace people with hosts out in our world or maybe mm-hmm. some other nefarious thing. But this, it was kind of a, an off shoot that you see. So that was kind of interesting. It was it was a good starting point or not a good starting point, but it was a, a good starting to the season. And it made me actually want to go back and watch season one again, which wouldn't be too awful. I don't think um, I'm looking forward to, to checking it out. You know, um, it, it, it sounds kind of goofy in premise, but if you were to try and explain season one, it, it would sound pretty goofy as well. So, um, it sounds not feasible until you see the show. Yeah. When I, I read in your show notes that there was a dead tiger on the beach. Um, I didn't go any further than that. And I was like, Oh God, we're going in the way, you know, we're going down the path that Lost went where it just got so goofy. It was unwatchable in my opinion. And I know a lot of people have very strong opinions on Lost, but it makes sense, you know, based on re- your review. And, uh, you know, we'll see. You're not the first person that said that. 
and I will. I don't know which one of the podcasts it was because I, I did listen to some of the other ones because I was since we're not a Westworld podcast. I wanted to know what other people were saying out there, and there was one of them that was saying that when the when the tiger showed up, they were like, "Oh God, I'm expecting a smoke monster to come that's, out." Yeah, it, that's exactly what I thought. So, so you're not the only to, person that I has to, come up with that, but it makes sense point. knowing the history of Westworld. Yeah, so. it, and it does, and um, you know, I think Westworld. Um, I think it could have shifted to a different world completely after season one. I felt like there was closure there. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Although I didn't really necessarily want to leave that world. I thought it, there was no, there was more they could do, but it ended well. Yeah, and I thought, okay, let's move on to a different world. But, you know, I'll have to see. So, you know, uh, Westworld, yeah, when they get to Westworld in season three, it's going to be a medieval world, and it will take place in Rob's house. There you go. <laughs> and Rob will be there. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> Welcome. In all my hey medieval glory. I'm Rob. Welcome to medieval world. <laughs> wow, the budget hey went really downhill. <laughs> hey, man. Okay. All these swords. Let's, uh, let's move on to our next thing here. All right. We're going to do another album review for you guys. And this time it is from a very familiar voice to myself and Greg. And that voice comes from the man, Maynard James, Maynard James Keenan. Maynard James Keenan. <laughs> it just sounds really funny. Maynard James Keenan from the band uh, Tool, but this album is from his band A Perfect Circle, and the album is called Eat the Elephant. It is their fourth album, and this made me take a step back. It is their first album in 14 years. Which is crazy it, to me. insane. Um, I feel like I was listening to 13th Step. When I, when I thought that... I looked back and I just kind of brought myself back and I've, it made me immediately remember leaving my apartment, which I haven't lived in, in an apartment in many mm -hmm. years to go to the Best Buy across the way and buy their previous album. And it also reminded me of 13th Step, which I bought and then mailed to a friend of mine who was in Iraq. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow. Like it was really that long ago. Uh, it, it was. And it seems like even longer ago for me because I was not a big fan of emotive which was their last album, um, their last. Nor was yeah. I actually. I was. I was actually going to mention that I didn't like it almost at mm -hmm. all. Um, there were some covers on there. It just it it didn't feel very original. Um, Thirteen Step I thought was great, but that was even longer ago. So yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Just to, to for you guys out there that don't know Perfect Circle, their first album uh, came out in um, May twenty second of two thousand. And it was called Meriden Alms, which if you look it up, it's called, it means Sea of Names. Mm, it's great album. And all of their albums definitely, they have a theme. So this one was sort of a, not an anti-religion, but almost an anti-organized religion. And it had a huge hit called Judith. And Judith was the name of the lead singer's mother who had ended up paralyzed. And she was very devoutly religious. And the song was kind of him working through it. And it was almost a combination of like, well, if God can let this happen to you, but there's also some conversation that you, if you read the song a different way, it could be God and Jesus versus God and his mom kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was an interesting song. The whole, the, I thought the whole album was great. It was actually the, the highest charting first album or the highest charting debut album by a band, like its first week, which I thought was kind of interesting, but everyone knew him because of tool. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things I remember about Meridianam is that that album actually came out the same day as the game, a perfect dark by rare and, amazing yeah, game, which was the semi sequel to Goldeneye, And I very distinctly remember leaving work 
that day. Good old Blockbuster. Rushing over to Best Buy and buying both those at the same time, which is saying a lot considering I was working at Blockbuster at the time, being able to afford both a video game and a CD at the same time. That was a good 70 bucks, 60, yep, 70 bucks. Listening to the album the whole way home, and it was definitely one of those things where I didn't know whether to stop listening to the album to play the game or whatever. I just wanted to like keep listening to the album. And I don't know. It was just, and it just stuck out to me that they were both, it was like, I called it the perfect day when I was talking to my friends back then, but just one of those random things that just sticks out in my mind about that band. Um, 13 step came out. That was about drug addiction. That came out three years later. And then a motive was very anti-war. So it had covers like of the song, imagine when the levee breaks, uh, what's going on, you know, very kind of classic anti-war Vietnam songs, but it was, it was really, and it was, they tried to slow some of the songs down, and it was the none of the songs were better than the originals. No, uh, the, absolutely. There not. was two originals on there, two original songs on there. One was called "Passive," which was the song from uh, "Counting Bodies Like Sheep oh. to the Rhythm of the War Drums." Yeah, that was the other was one. Wrong. That was the other original. Yeah, so that was good. And then "Passive" was really good. And "Passive" I actually love quite a bit, but that was in the movie Underworld. And then, of course, this song, which came out, this album, which came out fourteen years later, which is also pretty political as well. It is, um, and it's. Veiled it sometimes. They're, they're direct shots at others. Um, but yeah. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> no, I mean, you're right. It, here's what I, my very first listen, listen to it straight through. And one of the things that immediately came to my mind is both tool and this band and a perfect circle, mm-hmm. both. Are you, they're almost like ethereal. They're almost, they're so strange sometimes that I don't want them talking about real life things Mm. in straight up terms. Yeah. And, and like, even like if I I love protest songs, you know, I love, and I love protest songs that people don't understand are protest songs like born in the USA. People are like, Oh, it's yay America. It's not, you know, when Reagan was playing it back when he was running, people are laughing because it's not about that. It's about not supporting it's about the fact that the government was failing the people coming back from Vietnam, mm-hmm. but amongst other things. But so I love that kind of stuff. And on this, and even on the previous albums, you had to really look into the words on some of this. It's really literal about what they're talking about. And it, I think I'm really worried. It's going to date itself in two, three years. All of a sudden that the whole album is going to seem. Um, I think in, in some of the things that I read that uh, I don't know when these tracks were recorded, but some of it, I feel like it's kind of dated already. Um, if that makes sense, uh, disillusioned, I think could have came out 14 years ago. I think it's a great yeah. track. Don't get me wrong. And disillusioned is the one that's about technology. Yeah, right? too, too much technology. Um, you know, put down the sil- silicon ex- obsession and, you know, it's like, okay, put yourself in a way and, you know, go out there, look around at the world, but realize that you're not a unique voice at the same time. So I'm yeah. like, I thought that was it. weird because I would have never known that the album was coming out if I didn't have my cell phone. I wouldn't be able to listen to the album exactly. if I didn't have I, my cell phone. So it was really weird, like, listening to the album on my cell phone and him being like, put it down. Like, I, I, no. Yeah, I like to think that I'm I'm not as as locked in on my cell phone as, as a lot of people, maybe as a younger generation are. But at the same time, I hear this and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm listening to this on my cell phone. So and, and while I, it's a great song, it's a little dated already. I, I was going to say, I just, I just like to chime in because I mean, while, while you guys know that, that music isn't necessarily my thing, I, I'm more of a movie guy. 
Um, the, I, I wanted to make a comment about something that, that Greg had said as far as like, like with born in the USA when, you know, people are, are, you know, oh, oh, it's rah, rah America. And, you know, and you're like, that's not really what the song is about because I, I kind of feel that music is a lot like art in that what it's about is what you think it's about. It's how you interpret it. It, regardless of what the person who actually wrote the song meant when they wrote the song, how you interpret it is no less valid than what they meant when they wrote the song. So that's one of the things where I think like art and music, you know, you, you get into this gray area because you get into this thing. Well, you know, that's not what it means to me. And when it's, when it's something, when it means something different to you than what it means to somebody else doesn't make your opinion any less valid or any less correct for you than it does for somebody else. I think in some ways that actually sort of proves my point because some of the stuff is so literal that it can't be about anything Mm -hmm. else on, in some songs. And what you're saying, for example, I'll give you a Pearl Jam example. Uh, the song alive from Pearl Jam is not, was not a super happy song. It was about him, about Eddie Vedder finding out that his father, that he, the person he thought was his father was not actually his father. And it was, a guy that was like a family friend that had just passed away. Mm-hmm. And it basically he was saying, I'm still alive after all this crap. It turned out that after he started playing it li- after they started playing it live, that people would raise their hands up and it became, and it became like a look, if I've gone through this and I'm still alive, you know, it's, it became like a, you know, a glorious thing. Right. And I mean, because that could be taken so like the, even, so even the person writing the song thought of it as a, a downtrodden kind of woe is me type mm-hmm. thing. But the fans and the people that looked at the art changed what the song was actually about. So that is you know, pretty accurate what right. you're saying. I think, uh, Greg, I was actually talking about this and, and rem- reminiscing about it finally the, the other day when you and I went and saw Pearl Jam. And I think that you and I had a moment when they played alive. That song always gets me. It's like chills. And I've seen it, what, like 20 something times. Yeah. It's crazy. But so, um, yeah, anyway, continuing on, uh, that song specifically, there was a, what he said in an interview, I'm not sure if you saw the interview, but you probably saw it in the notes, that one of the things that the album sort of talks about is that there's a lot of people that consider themselves experts about everything. Like us. And are more, yeah, like, like us at this podcast. <laughs> I'm kidding. But are more than willing to chime in on the internet and in comment rooms and chat rooms and stuff like that about all this stuff. But, you know, they have all the power in the world to talk to everybody via social media, but they don't seem to want to take the time to do the actual research and actually know something about it. So there's a lot of novice experts out there. And I think that's where the album actually gets away from me thinking it sounds like old man on porch shouting at cloud (laughs) to take a a Simpsons reference and actually makes a pretty good point. Yeah, there are, uh, there are lyrics in there that I um, actually made a note on the song. Um, talk talk which is the sixth track on there um and the beginning of that where it says you had initially noted that it said thoughts and prayers um and and that's a big thing when mm-hmm. whenever we um have a situation happen people are are so quick to go on social media and pays you know and and say uh oh my thoughts and prayers are with blah 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 and if if I can step on my high horse for a second, uh, and I believe my interpretation of the song is that while that's great, um, your thoughts and prayers are with, you know, the the victims or the, the people most affected by 
this situation. Um, that's adorable, you know, because the, the next line in there are, you know, thoughts and prayers, adorable, like cake in a crisis. Um, so, you know, a perfect circle has been, you know, there's a lot of kick in the ass, kind of do something about it. Um, and even if you can, you know, if, if you can't, you know, monetarily, um, then I, I, I believe this album is, is a lot of don't be a, a, a keyboard activist. Yeah. Do your research mm-hmm. and you can volunteer and help people on your own. You can vote, you can vote, you can do whatever. Yeah. So just like you were saying. But, um, the one thing, the, the dated thing I did mention, uh, so long and thanks for all the fish. I actually really like that song. I love the fact that it's referencing a part of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Is that what that's I love right? that okay. it, it's, um, it's the end of the first book of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. All the dolphins leave and they're like basically proving that dolphins are smarter than man. They mm-hmm. say so long and thanks for all the fish, basically. Um, but it references, you know, uh, you know, uh, Wilder. So from, uh, from uh, the Gene Wilder. Yep. Carrie Fisher mentions Leia. So Willy Wonka, Major Tom, Ali, and Leia. Yeah. And, and they mentioned Brady's mom. And I, for the longest time, I, I told you this yeah. the other day in the car, I was like, what, what happened to Tom Brady's mom? And then it was turned out it was the Brady Bunch's mom, which I thought was interesting. It basically said, like, they all decided that, you know, they were too good for us. So they left before the end of the world, yeah. <laughs> which, I, which I love. But I know that in a few years, that, that song is going to not be on, like, heavy play for me, just because I feel like it's, the way it's written, it just seems like it's something that would get old eventually. Um, a lot of things that reference David Bowie are hard for me to listen to. Um, mm-hmm. David Bowie's last album is hard for me to listen to because I still mm-hmm. – I listen to that song and I go, man, he's really gone, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. which is still – it's hard for me to wrap my mind around. Uh, I'm looking at the notes here. Did you write beautiful vocals next to the song? Yes, I did. Because I had written almost exactly the same did thing. You? But then deleted it. I was going to write the mo- one of the most beautiful tracks on the album. But then I deleted it because I figured I would just be able to say no, it. No, it's a, it's a very well written, you know, song. And, um, the song actually lulled, like in a good way. I was listening to it. I listened to it once and I was like, wow, that was really good. I listened to it again. It actually lulled me to sleep the second time just because it's so like soothing and like, I don't know. It's, it's a good it song. It is. So if you're, if you're familiar with Tool and you're not familiar with the perfect circle, I think a perfect circle is a different outlet from Maynard James Keenan. Um, he does a lot of things vocally different. Um, I believe um, it's a song, get the let out. You and I had this conversation. Uh, it's the last track on the album where they kind of take his vocals and kind of jam them together. Um, mm-hmm. There's yeah. not really a moment where he um, in that with editing that he looks away from the microphone and he takes a breath, um, but they do that a lot. And he, he, does a lot of things uh, differently with the perfect circle than he does with, with tool. And mm-hmm. I really like that at times. Yeah. Um, at times I don't, at times I think it's, I'm going to say a strong word here, but contrived. Yeah. I can see the, that. The, um, I guess a lot of what, a lot of what creatively drives a perfect circle is actually Billy Howard L who's the, the guitarist, and he was a, he was Maynard James Keenan's guitar tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also a guitar tech for David Bowie. Wait, he was and Maynard, Maynard's guitar tech? Well, the Tools oh, guitar okay. tech, sorry. Um, and he was also for David Bowie, Smashing Pumpkins, and Guns N' Roses. So the guy knows what he was doing, and he was writing some songs and just playing some songs while staying with Maynard at one point after a tour. And Maynard's like, well, I can see myself playing. I can see myself singing to those songs. And 
Billy Howard L being around these people was like, no, I actually had this in mind for a female vocalist. And he's like, well, let me try it. And it turned out that it sounded good. So he started writing lyrics and stuff like that. Um, so it's, I think a lot of the creative side of things really is controlled by someone that isn't Maynard James Keenan. Whereas in tool, I think tool is a lot of Maynard James Keenan. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, there's also, uh, I, I wanted to make a, a point about this and, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I kind of think you will after I say this. The track Hourglass, for me, sounds just like the Halloween song from Nightmare Before Christmas, and I don't like it. Listen to it again. It has that very pattern to it, and he does this. That one didn't actually stand out to me, so that's not – that doesn't. And I've listened to the album a lot. I've listened to <laughs> I've listened to it like four or five times. Yeah. So I'm about the same. But um it's yeah, if you hear it now, it's kinda like oh. Um and I wanted to say, uh So Long Thanks for All the Fish, the very beginning of that sounds like a very uh often repeated intro um from uh the cult uh Firewoman. That way, were you listening to that before we started recording? Is that why? Hell yeah, I was. I was jamming out, man. Okay, well, I think we have lulled Rob to sleep. Speaking of lulling things to sleep, um, "Eat the Elephant" is available now. Yeah, and you can get it on Amazon. Uh, I I think there's enough tracks on there that are worth listening to. Agreed. So it's it's worth the purchase, in my opinion. Um, and and I've said this to you, Greg, and I'll, I'll kind of close it out with this. <laughs> Hey Rob, uh, <laughs> what? Huh? Well, Where? <laughs> um, I'll close it out with this. It's it's good to hear Maynard's voice again. Yes, uh, I think he has beautiful vocal talent. I think he's an underrated songwriter. Uh, overall, the album was very enjoyable, and I can't wait to uh, hopefully see them in October. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about that too. Yeah, it's they're literally playing ten minutes from my house. Yep. So I'm gonna have to go there. Okay, so uh, we are done talking about music, and Rob has entered the podcast yet again. <laughs> and I was here the whole time. And now he's going to talk about a movie that him and Jimmy both saw and I have not yes. seen yet. So now I get to be quiet. Well, have fun kids. <laughs> Jimmy Same and Greg. I, well, but you you saw the first one, didn't you, Greg? I saw it once in the theater in college, I believe, and I don't remember it at all. Oh wow. Well, um Jimmy and I both had the opportunity to go see Super Troopers 2 this weekend. And I was a big fan of the first movie. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was very funny, very well written, very well done. Um, and I, I will say that I did like the second one. The first one was a little bit better, but there were a couple of there were a couple of really great jokes. There were some that was yeah, it was like eh, not so much. But all, all in all, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it, I thought it was really funny. I mean, what what did you feel about it, Jimmy, after you saw it initially? So. It, it took a little while for some of the jokes to settle in, mm-hmm. um, but there were moments in the movie where I honestly rolled my eyes um, because I'm a cranky old man now. Um, Super Troopers 1 came out in 2001. Yeah. You know, we're talking about – God, we were talking about the perfect last Perfect Circle, Circle album uh, 14 years ago. You know, we're talking 16 years uh, 17 years for Super Troopers too. Um, but there were some moments in there that I, I really just cracked up. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, um, y- y- before getting into it too much, um, it's, uh, from Broken Lizard, 
Mm-hmm. So it's a comedy troupe that uh, they did Beer Fest. They also did uh, – what was it? Club Dread? Yes. Which I, I saw and I, I did not like that one at all. Beer Fest was hilarious in my opinion. Beer Fest was great. I thought Beer Fest was funnier than Super Troopers. I like Greg. I'm, I maybe saw Super Troopers once. Mm-hmm. And a, a, a lot of the humor doesn't, you know, resonate with me. There's a lot of the, the pot humor, um, that I don't really get, but I think they're really funny guys. Yeah. Uh, it was directed by Jay. Go for it. Chandrasekhar. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Well, I was, I was just saying <laughs> go for it. <laughs> <laughs> who plays Thorny, mm-hmm. um, in the movie, who, if you remember, he had a very, um, pronounced mustache in in the first one um so you know the who the wants state a troopers, mustache ride <laughs> the state troopers are back you know they've uh the they, disgraced they've lost their are. jobs yeah they've lost mm-hmm. their jobs because of an incident that we don't really know about involving fred savage see i couldn't i was like what i don't remember that from the first one you know, it was yeah. 17 years ago, but yeah, I, no, I don't remember Fred Surf- Savage from the first one. That didn't happen in the first oh, one. Okay. It was it was, right. it was after they had gotten their their jobs um, as as city cops or whatever, because okay. the the highway patrol shut down. They became city cops, then they lost their jobs as city cops because of an incident with uh, Fred Savage that they don't really talk about during the movie. But you see the incident during the credits. Yeah, and it was very quick. Yeah. Um, the movie ended and there is an extra scene. So you're not, you're not going to miss that extra scene unless you like, I guess teleport out of the theater because the movie ends and it's like 30 seconds and then you see that scene. Right. So if you do go see it in the theater, um, you're not going to miss it. Hang out. You'll for see. A little bit. Yeah. You'll see that the reason eventually and it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Fred Savage was great. Um, so there are, uh, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but there are, uh, starring roles in this are, are some surprising ones. Um, I didn't really watch any trailers for this. I didn't keep up with it. It was crowdfunded, right? Uh, I'm kind not sure of. about that one. Okay. I, I kind of thought it was, but, uh, probably the most surprising role was Linda Carter. Uh, I will be your research department at this point. All right. Thank so. you. Um, we we had uh, Linda Carter, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Rob Lowe, yeah, Will Sasso, <laughs> yeah, Will Sasso from uh, many things Reaper and uh, what I I couldn't figure out where is he from where is he from and uh, Mad TV yeah he was kind of the, one of the stars from that for me uh, but Rob Lowe was hilarious in it. and and there was also a cameo by uh, Stifler. There was, yeah. Sean William Scott and Damon Wayans Jr. opened Correct. it. And, yeah. And I'm sitting there going, I don't remember these guys from the first one. And I'm like, where are where is this going? But it was a dream sequence. Yep. It clears it up. Yeah, it, it clears it up pretty quickly. Um and it's <laughs> the plot is Okay, chiming back in. Uh yeah. it was partially crowdfunded. There was $4.6 million was raised from 54,000 people. And that crowdfunding, they almost used it as the beginning of the advertising campaign to let people know that these guys were still out there and making movies. Yeah, because they hadn't done much since Club think, Dread. Yeah, I think Club Dread awful. was the last one. Yep. That was the last one from Broken Lizard. 
But in in this movie, they do have several callbacks to a couple of jokes from the first one. So if you haven't seen the first one, I definitely recommend watching it before you before you go see this one. Yeah, and if you watched it right before you went and saw it, it it might be even funnier. Right. Because I haven't seen the first one since maybe a year or two after it came out. Right. I've seen it more recently than that, but it's still been a while since I've seen it. But there were definitely a couple of jokes that I was like, ah, I got you. Okay. So. Yeah. Um, Hang on, Mia. (laughs) Dude came back. That was awesome. And wasn't he like the director or something, I thought? Um, The guy in the car? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is. Or he had something to do with the first movie, and I don't remember what it was. Like he, he, other than like being in the first movie, but he, he had something involved with behind the scenes of the first movie. Like he was, he was the producer or the, or something. Yeah. We might have to do a little editing here because I, his name escapes me um, for reason. And I find him hilarious. Yeah. No editing. (laughs) No baby oil. Get out. (laughs) I'm doing the research. Continue amongst yourselves. Okay. So, and, and there's a, there's a lot of great jokes in this movie. Um, there's, there's several scenes that literally made me laugh out loud. Um, the scene where they wired the radio for Farva. <laughs> I was, I was dying. I was dying. Um, yeah. They, they, they made a reference to the, uh, to the, to, the, <laughs> you might have to bleep me on this one, but the, the bear fucker joke from the first one where they were, where the Canadian mounties. We're talking about doing it with a moose. Yeah, I didn't get that. I was that was just kind of one of those like. Uh, yeah. Well, you need a ladder though. Oh, <laughs> uh, but but you you did right here that the uh, Danny DeVito joke was the absolute best, and that that was another one that I literally was sitting in the theater just laughing. Yeah, I that absolutely killed me. Um, I, I you have to see it. You know, they're they're kind of going, oh, no, Danny, Danny DeVito was the guy in this movie. And and there's this one guy sitting on the couch and he's going, no, that wasn't him, eh? You know, you're, you're wrong. And Will Sasso's character he goes, yeah, no, I know. I'm messing with him. And then mentions another movie that Danny DeVito was in. And the guy's like, that's Danny DeVito. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there, there were some other, you know, um, the sequence where the the guys are 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 heroes, I guess. Uh, took the. Oh wait, so that, wait, you're talking about the guy who's in the car during the meow sequence? Yes, Correct. please help me. Oh, it's Jim Gaffigan. The comedian. yes, Jim Gaffigan. Oh my god, I can't believe uh, of, I, I forgot his name. Yeah, of Pop Tarts fame and um, yeah, of hilarious hot, fame. hot hot pockets, not Pop Tarts. Sorry, he does his whole hot pockets thing. Hot yes. Pockets. Yes. Thank you, Jim Gaffigan. No what's problem. Driving me crazy. Um, there's uh, happiness in your household. <laughs> that. Oh, man. Canadian accent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. The, uh, you what know, did you think I said? <laughs> or, or rolling up on a – or pulling a car over. So the guys, they, they take the uniforms of the Royal Mounted Police – in in a uh, in a, a revenge prank, and they try and make all of Canada look bad, and uh, they pull pull a car over on horses on uh, on horseback with a siren 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, that part just killed me. The, I, and it harkens back to the first one where they would, like, play their games on the road. Like the uh, how many times can you say meow or the the repeater where they where they just constantly say the same thing. And the they, triangulator. They did, <laughs> they did it wearing the Canadian Mounties uniforms. And some of the games they came up with were, were pretty funny for this one as well. Yeah. So, I mean, if you've seen the first one, you, you don't really have to. There are, you know, some callback jokes, like Rob said, to to the first one, but it it does stand alone. Um, I I kept thinking about this while I was watching it. Um, I don't know if they they modeled it after him, but Rob Lowe's character looked like the main character from Team America. Yeah, like same haircut. Like yeah, Five O'clock Shadow. I mean, that just blew my mind every time. And there were some great cameos. Um, my my favorite i'm gonna skip this one uh so i don't spoil it completely but there was a cameo from bruce mcculloch from kids in the hall he was the border agent i guess where they enter canada for the first time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and if you don't know bruce mcculloch is from uh such fame as kids in the hall uh just absolutely hilarious you know um, oh, how I miss kids in the hall. Oh, so do I. And that might lead us into our question a little bit later, but yeah, check it out. Definitely. If you, if you really enjoyed the first one, you will enjoy the second one. Um, there, there are some, there are some callbacks. There are some, some repeat jokes that made it through the first movie, but they, they did it all with a little bit of a new twist. So it, it was enjoyable. I would still say the first one was better. But if you enjoyed mm-hmm. the first one, you're going to like the second one. It was it was really funny. I'll say I'm glad I didn't pay full price for it. But what I did pay for, I thought was worth it. Yeah. But then again, most comedies are not necessarily movies that have to be seen in a theater. And I don't think this one was one of them. No, 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 no. But it is worth a watch. It's worth your time. Yeah, I don't even remember the last comedy I've seen in the theater. It's been a really, really long time. <laughs> like. I, I see comedies in the theater a lot, but that's just because I love seeing comedies and I don't mind going to the theater to see it. Yeah, I think Game Night was the last one I saw in the theater. Which one? Oh, that was like two weeks ago. Game Night. Yeah. Oh. God. The last one I remember seeing in the theater was like straight Ace up Ventura, comedy. Prehistoric Detective. <clears throat> no, I think it was Knocked Up. Thanks, Rob. I think the last one I remember seeing in the theater might have been Knocked Up. Wow. Which was. It's not, I don't know. It's not worth the money to me. Alrighty. So that brings, alrighty. That brings us to our question. And that is based off of our review of Super Troopers 2. Now there were at least that I could count three sketch comedy groups in Super Troopers 2. Now those were Mad TV, mm-hmm. Kids in the Hall, mm-hmm. and Broken Lizard. Correct. So with those three named, what are your top five sketch comedy groups slash TV shows. Hmm. And if you were not able to come up with the five sketch comedy groups, that's why I included TV shows for this. I actually have too many. So like I, I found about, I figured out about 20 of them that I was able to whittle down. <laughs> wow. Once, once I figured out, once I figured out who qualified in the category, I got mine down pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had to be doing something while not seeing comedies in the theater. So apparently it's sketch comedy. There you so, go. Yeah. 
Yeah, so sketch comedy. Um, I'll go ahead and set the stage, I guess. Do so it. my top five. And um, I actually forgot about a couple of these until we talked earlier. But uh, number five is going to be one of those ones that I forgot about. And that's Chappelle's show. That's a hard one to forget about. Yeah, it is. Although, dude, uh, it was a – I don't want to say flash in the pan. It was a, a shooting star. It was there. It reached its peak, and then it just went away. Yep. Number four, one that I actually watched every week with my parents in living color. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That launched careers of so many people. Number three is while there's still a sketch comedy you know, troop out there, they had a short run of a TV show that's Upright Citizen Brigade that, you know, I I quote very often. Number And by quoting them very often, what do you say? <laughs> oh ass pennies. Yep. <laughs> um every time I pick up a penny off the ground I th- I think of a, a you know a segment from that show. Number two is the state I don't know if you guys have seen that. Um, Ken Marino is in so many things. He played a character named Louie on the state as, as well as many others, but it's, it's very funny. Um, I, I think it only ran for, for a couple of years, but my number one, uh, hearkening back to the, the cameo from Bruce McCulloch, uh, kids in the hall. All right. Absolutely classic. Very Canadian. And I love it. Oh and yeah, I will. And one of my all-time favorite comedy movies is Kids in the Hall Brain Candy. Brain and Candy, yeah. The fact that that movie did not do well is a shame because uh, th- they did Danzig better than Danzig does Danzig on <laughs> in that particular movie. But it's uh, if you have not seen Brain Candy out there, guys, listen or watch Brain Candy. It's worth. It. Actually, you can listen to it too. It's funny even if you just listen to it. But that's true. It's funny. Well, do you want to go next, Greg? I do. I was trying to find one thing before I went, but. I want to, uh, there we go. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't say something wrong. Gotcha. And let me see if I can find that real quick. Sorry, guys. There it is. So, awesome radio. Awesome radio. Okay, here we go. So I'm going to (laughs) go. So much for not editing. Okay. Number Uh, five is awesome radio. Yes, awesome radio. The the skit group that I just invented right now. Okay. Uh, My number five is Key and Peele. I talk about them a lot considering the fact that I didn't actually watch their show to begin with. It was on Comedy Central, I believe, but I watched it on on YouTube, clips like that. And I love both the excessive celebration skit and the substitute skit. And Oh, you done messed up now, A.A. Ron. (laughs) Yes. Both of those are so good that I don't even care what the rest of them are, even though the rest of them are funny too. But the, the dub set, dubstep skit was hilarious. Yes, mm-hmm. they're all good. So find those. You can find them on YouTube. You can find them. I think you can find them on uh, ComedyCentral.com as well. Uh, number four was Chappelle Show. It was groundbreaking. It was interesting. It was funny, and it still holds up today. My number three is Jimmy's number one. That is Kids in the Hall. Uh, basically, Canadian Saturday Night Live with a whole lot of weirdness mixed in. Uh, my number two, going back a little bit, Monty Python, Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Terry Gilliam, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, and Michael Palin. All of them were hilarious, and their their TV show was groundbreaking on the BBC, but their movies is what brought them to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, my number one is the 
term I was looking for was the not ready for prime for prime time players, which were the original cast of SNL, although they did continue on. But from the first four or five seasons, they brought us Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Chevy Chase, Jane Curtin, Garrett Morris, Bill Murray, Lorraine Newman, uh, Gilda Radner, Harry Shearer. And that, you know, it was just innovative. People didn't know if they were going to stay on the air. People didn't know how they were able to stay on the air. And it led to, you know, basically the entire SNL thing all the way down through today's cast. So that would be my number one SNL. Very nice. Very nice. Um, I'll go ahead and do mine. Um, I, I did have some crossover, um, but I, I actually hadn't watched a lot of the shows that, that you guys watched or that you guys listed. Um, my, my, uh, my exposure was a little bit, was a little bit different. Um, which is why I'm probably going to start number five with the Benny Hill show. Um, oh, nice. I don't know if you guys watched that or ever remember that, but I, I remember watching that. With my no, dad, but I, when I was watching my kid play soccer on Saturday, I put on Yakety Sax. There you go. On my, on my phone, I let it play, and it was so funny <laughs> watching, <laughs> watching them run around the field to that. And, so. and that is actually the ringtone on my phone, by the way. Nice. Yakety Sax. So I'm going to go with Benny Hill Show at number five. Um, at number four, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and do SNL. I never actually really watched SNL. However, um, if I'm not mistaken, it's one of the longest-running sketch comedy shows like ever, isn't it? I believe so. And it's still going. So yeah. 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 So, I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta give props for that. Um, my number three is going to be in living color. Um, I remember watching that. Uh, we loved it. I watched it with my family, you know, fire marshal bill. Um, let me show you something. <laughs> let me show you something. Um, it, it was just, it was just great. I, we really it enjoyed brought it. You, it brought us Jamie Foxx and Jim Carrey. And Jim Carrey, yep. And also the Wayans Damon brothers. Damon Wayans, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, great, great show. We enjoyed it a lot. Um, my number two is actually a stop-motion animation show by the name of Robot Chicken, which I absolutely love. Um, Good choice. The, the, the skits, a lot of them are extremely hilarious. Some of them are, some of them are kind of a miss, but... You know, it's it's all based upon the stuff that we grew up with in the '80s, pretty much. Um, I, I one of the one of the episodes I remember off the top of my head is Optimus Prime had um, prostate cancer. <laughs> it was like, wait a minute, no, he can't he can't do that. He's a robot, you know. It was, but it was it was it was a, it was a, it's a funny show, and they it just ranges the gamut on just about everything. Um, but my number one comedy troupe is going to be Monty Python. Um, and I probably I, called that one for him. I, I, yeah, yeah, I bet you could have. I was introduced to Monty Python by my dad. My dad loved Monty Python. Um, and I've, and I, I also, like Greg, was introduced to him through their movies first. And then I've seen a couple of the Flying Circus. Um, it's, I, I really enjoy their comedy and I think they're, they're very funny. So they're, they're going to be my number one. Uh, as an aside, there's a brilliant box set for Monty Python Flying Circus, like all DVDs or Blu rays or whatever. And if mm-hmm. you keep an eye on it on Amazon, every it's over a hundred dollars, obviously, because it's a ton. But every so often, right around the holidays, it goes down to about fifty bucks, oh, nice. which is how I've seen all of them because I saw that. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> bye. Yeah, I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Yeah, and yeah, those- perhaps, guys, you could buy it on our Amazon link, which I wasn't actually meaning to do this, but um, if you check out our website, which you can find in any of our links that we put up, we do have a, an Amazon link there. That if you go there, it doesn't cost you any more money at all. But what it does 
is it sends a little bit of money from whatever you're purchasing for Amazon away from the giant scary corporation, and it sends it to the beloved podcast that you are listening to right now. Right it helps now. <laughs> it helps pay down the debt that Greg won't tell um, Rob and myself that we owe him. Yeah. I got to figure that out. Maybe tomorrow. Remind me tomorrow well when as, I'm sitting there. As well as help <laughs> offset the cost on the trainer monk on the helper monkey. Yeah, yeah. You got to feed those things. Yeah, took us a while to learn that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, again, to I think we need to probably argue this one out. So, shall we? Uh, okay. Sure. I think it might not be that hard though, because Monty Python. I'm writing these down as we go here. Yeah. Monty Python ended up in everyone's li- well in two lists. In Living Color was in all three. Uh, yeah, it wasn't in mine, but I would be okay with it. Money. Okay, so oh, how about in living cover it, number five? Yeah, as I said, in living cover. Um, Listen, living color number five. Yep. I think SNL just on the what it yeah. brought to us and who and how long it's been going on, and the fact that it's still going on should probably be number one. As I said, yes, I didn't no. watch the show, so I can't. I can't. I I included it on my list for just for the. Um, the longevity of it and the the appeal because I know a lot of people who loved SNL, but I it was never one that I actually watched. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I can't argue against it being number one just because of its stature. Yeah. Uh, whenever sketch comedy is mentioned to me in general, that's the first one that pops in my head. Yeah. So do SNL. Uh, so we have one a one and a five. I think Monty Python should probably be in there at number two. Yep. I'm okay with that. And I think probably maybe Kids in the Hall at number three. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Although I think it should be higher, but that's okay. Yeah, but higher than SNL? I mean, should it should it replace SNL? No. I think I think Jimmy's actually Canadian. I, I think that's entirely possible. I'd like to see Robot Chicken in the top five, but I don't know that you guys will agree to that. No. I like it. I just don't see it as that type of show, and it kind of lost me after the first like three or four seasons. Although yeah, anytime they do anything same. with G.I. Joe, I'm cool with it. Yeah, but. and I'm I'm sorry for that. <laughs> ah, <caught> sorry. <laughs> oh crap! But I think I kind of think Ch- Chappelle show might yeah. be important enough, even though it had a short run and it didn't bring quite as many people to prominence as some of the others. I think it was kind of important in a way. But then again, so was Living Color. Wait, it, I thought in Living Color was on the list already. It is. It is. But I'm saying like I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out how we are going to determine things. It's like a lot of times when I make these definitive lists, personally, I'm like, well, what's the most important? Well, which which were the ones that were on your list again, Greg? Run run through them real quick. Uh, Key and yep, Peele, please. Chappelle, Kids in the Hall, Monty Python, and SNL. Okay. I I would put in Living Color. Um, I'd put in Living uh, Color fourth and Chappelle show fifth. Yeah, because in Living Color launched so many careers. Okay. Uh, I'm okay Jim with that. Carrey, Jamie Foxx, Damon Wayans. Uh, Fox. I mean, not just Jimmy Fox or Jamie Fox, but Fox. Like, I mean, that was like Living Color, Married with Children, Simpsons was like the one, two, three punch mm-hmm. on Fox, and it launched an entire network. Yeah, and it also launched. I, I'm pretty sure it launched a uh, um, Millie Vanilli as well, as well as Jennifer Lopez. Wasn't she a fly girl? Yep, she was. Yep. So, okay, I think that does it. I'm, I'm sealing it. Ready? All right. Uh, Chappelle Show number five, Living Color number four. Kids in the Hall number three, Monty Python number two, and SNL is number one. I'm fine with that. Great. All right, I can live with that. Okay. Well, that's taken care of. So, um, guys, that is episode 35. 
thank you for listening. I think next time we're going to have to probably just talk about one big thing, Infinity War. I got my tickets. I'll be seeing them tomorrow. There you go. I'll, I'll, I'll see it this weekend. Yep, same. Might sneak in some uh, concert talk because I will be, of course, the reason I was not going to be editing is because of that movie. And then I'm going to be seeing Foo Fighters and Billy Idol and Clutch, Clutch and Stone oh, Pilots. I'm so jealous. And a bunch of other people with over a three-day concert called Welcome to Rockville up in uh, Jacksonville. So I'm going to be out of town and I will... You know, that's why you're, you might be getting a slightly sloppier episode than normal, but it'll be fun. Yeah, please take video of Clutch's set <laughs> and Billy Idol. See what I can do. Five and make, it, punch. and make it not super sloppy. It, it will be semi-sloppy. Clutch is supposed to be sloppy. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Good night. That was my hands. I hope so.